as we look to God's word together. Heavenly Father, it is with great joy that we come before you on this day when we remember that you entered into our world, into the mess that we created as we turned our backs upon you, not to give us what we deserve. You came to bear the punishment that we deserve so that we didn't have to. Lord, we give you thanks that you did become like one of us, to be our representative, to bear our punishment, that we could be reconciled to God, that we could know the true peace and joy of Christmas. And as we reflect upon that this morning, uh, may you teach us and encourage us of this wonderful great news. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, believe it or not, I'm not really big into politics, hence why you've probably never really heard me say too many political things, and particularly I probably don't know much about international politics. But I think it's fair to say, given how frequently we change our Prime Minister, I reckon most Australians would know more who the United States President is than the Prime Minister of Australia. And then add to it, let's face it, Donald Trump does more sort of outlandish, newsworthy things than Scott Morrison will ever do in his lifetime. But I remember when Donald Trump was first elected, there was this big backlash. Everyone was putting up these signs or or hashtags on social media, not my president. It seems like a really, really bold statement, but it doesn't change reality, does it? Holding up a sign, putting a hashtag doesn't change the fact that he actually is still their president. If you're a United States citizen, um, he is your president, whether you like it or not. What they mean to communicate is, we don't approve of our president. We don't respect the one who's been chosen, who is our president. And as a result, we've got no desire to honour him, no desire to support his policies, no desire to submit to his leadership. But despite all of that, he is still their president and it has implications for them. Now, a Christmas theme this year that we've been looking at is things we sing at Christmas. People love to gather together to sing Christmas carols that speak great message of joy and hope. And we don't want people just to sing about joy and hope, but to have and experience that joy and hope. Our song that we're focusing on this morning was Oh Holy Night, which as we've just been reminded, it's not an easy song to sing. There's a couple of notes in there where you need to be Mariah Carey with the glittery microphone to get them there, but Stuart did a fantastic job. Then in particular, we're focusing on that line, Behold Your King. And you see people around the world gathered singing these songs, the big smile on their face. But if there's something to this claim that Jesus is our king, then it's something we need to consider. Now, when you heard the Bible reading, you could have been mistaken to think, why didn't we just sing We Three Kings of Orient Are? That's, surely that's a better fit for the reading that we've just had. But as we're about to see, there are some things represented in that song that actually don't match up with the biblical account. So this morning, we're going to look at these things. A, what's wrong with the song? Who are the two kings in the reading? Why are pagan astrologers seeking Jesus? And how will you respond to your king? So what's wrong with the song? Well, even in the title, there's two mistakes, and there's not many words in the title of the songs. 
Firstly, they're not kings. The historical record that we have of this event is that we had read from Matthew chapter 2 describes them as magi, which is a term which can mean astrologer, a magician, or a sorcerer. The idea that they were kings usually gets stemmed with a connection with the gifts. They think, well, if it's gold, frankincense, and myrrh, to have that sort of riches, you must need to be royalty. But as you know, you don't need to be royal to be a king. And the second thing which the song suggests in the title is that there were three of them, but the Bible never says there's three. Again, the presumption comes back to the connection with the gifts. Three gifts must mean three magi came to visit. But if I told you I got socks, jocks and a kilo of coffee, do you presume that three different people gave me those gifts? Not necessarily. So we know there were plural, we know there were magi. And then the third one, which doesn't come from the song, but from the nativity scenes in the shopping centre and probably in your homes, is that you often see them there in the place where they're beside Jesus in the manger, but in the biblical account... These magi arrived a little bit further down the track. In our reading in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, the very first verse says, After Jesus was born, so some time has passed, we see the magi travel to Jerusalem, possibly from Babylon. Then Herod gets a wind of it and thinks, Hang on, there's this, apparently there's this king being born. So he gets together the Jewish leaders and asks them, Where was this Christ to be born? And they say, Bethlehem. He's like, Sweet as. So he gets the, these wise men, he finds out that they're, they're headed this way, and he says, you find out where it is and you tell me where they're going on. Then in verse 9, the Magi find the child, not the baby, in a house, verse 11. And by the time Herod realised that they're not going to tell him where it is, he orders the death, and this is in verse 16, of all children up to two years of age, which would only make sense if... A little bit of time has passed. Now, they're not major significant things. It's not going to change your world and all of those things. Nor does this give you permission to go down to your local shopping centre and remove the kings or wise men or whatever they have there and say, I'll bring them back a little bit later when they, they possibly may arrive on the scene. So they're not three of them. They're not kings. But there are two kings in our reading. So who are they? It's not too hard to figure out the first one. You just read your first verse. In the days when Herod was king, he was the Roman-appointed king over the Jews. And the second one is this baby who was born, Jesus, who is God's appointed king of the Jews. But it's a bit of a strange concept, isn't it? An infant, a king. Mary and Joseph weren't even royalty. But as you read through the passage we see the idea of king written all over it. The Magi say they've come to see the one who's born king of the Jews. Herod inquires of the wise men, of the religious leaders, where is the Christ, which means anointed king, to be born? And then we see this description of this one who is a ruler in verse 6. A quote taken from Micah 5 2, 700 years before Jesus was born. Matthew, who's writing his biography of Jesus and his life, makes no mistake in introducing Jesus in the very opening line. He says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, remember, meaning 
anointed king, the son of David, that famous king in their history, the one whom they were long expecting, another king from his line who would reign forever, the son of Abraham. The Jews are waiting for a king descended from David who would reign forever. And Matthew's making very clear from the very first line of his biography, this is that king you've been waiting for. And as you gather around your tellies last night to watch the carols, you see Jonathan Foreman like a little kid waiting to do his little thing on the cymbals while people sing, and he shall reign forever and ever. So you've got Herod, the Roman appointed king of the Jews, Jesus, God's appointed king of the Jews, very, very different kings. Herod was a paranoid psychopath. The concept that anyone could possibly interfere with his life was too much for him. He always was worried people were going to take over his role. So in the process, he killed half of the Jewish ruling council, 300 court officials, his wife, what a nice fella, his mother-in-law, oh, that one's okay, no, no, I'm joking, (laughs) and three of his own sons. Or just in case they were a threat to his particular role. And even when he was on his deathbed, he organised all of the prominent men of Jerusalem to be gathered in one place. And when his death was to be announced, for all these important people to be slaughtered, so people would cry on the day his death was announced rather than celebrate. That was one king. There's no greater embodiment of, I am the ultimate authority, I will do what I want, and no one will stand in my way. Then you've got Jesus, the one who says, love your enemies, bless them, pray for them. And when he came to those who opposed him, he came to lay down his life for them, to bear their punishment for their opposition to him. I don't know which king I'd prefer. But why? If this king is to be born, why is it pagan, astrologers or magicians who come out seeking Jesus. Now we're told they're there following a star and there's other records in, in history where astrologers made some connection between events in the stars and political appointments and things like that. But there's even more a striking prophecy from over a thousand years before Jesus was even born. When a man named Balaam said this, I see him, but not now. So he's speaking of someone whose future from his perspective I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, which was a, the former name for Israel, and a scepter, or a ruler, shall rise out of Israel. Over a thousand years before Jesus was born, a connection between a star and the coming of a king. It's a nice connection, but why? Why are these pagan astrologers or magicians? Every time this word magi is used in the Bible, it's used negatively. In the book of Daniel, you'll see Nebuchadnezzar, he's got his, his wise men or magi around him to ask him what, what's all this writing on the wall business about. In Acts chapter 8, you see Simon the magician who wants to, to get these extra gifts because they love seeing what the, the apostles do and he wants some of their tricks too. Everywhere you see them described, it's in a negative sense. There was a Jewish rabbi writing just before the birth of Jesus says, anyone who learns from a magi deserves to die. So it gives you a pretty good 
impression of what was the Jewish perspective of these type of people. These are not people we're going to bring anywhere near our Messiah. Yet when you see three different responses in our passage, they are the only ones who respond rightly. They worship this king. And we see in our, in our chapter we've looked at this morning, four different, three different responses, and every single one of us responds in one of these ways to this king. You see, Jesus is the maker and sustainer of everything. Everything in this world he made, he is the king of it. It was made by him and for him. And what the Bible calls sin is basically effectively not recognising that he is the king. He is the one to whom we belong. He is our rightful ruler and not honouring him as such. And in our chapter we have three responses. All of us fall into one of these. Which one are we? The first is of the Jewish leaders. They hear about this king who is born and they're kind of indifferent. As Herod gathers them and asks them, where was this Christ to be born? They're like, bing, see, lock it in, Eddie. Bethlehem, Micah 5, 2, woo-hoo-hoo, we with the meat tray, we're going home. <laughs> Except Eddie doesn't have a meat tray, but that's more pub trivia, that one. These guys knew and taught the Bible, but when they heard an inkling that potentially the Messiah was born in this place, there it is, there's the, there's the factual information about it, but don't, we're not going to check it out. It's kind of like the sort of person who likes to be known as Christian, maybe ticks Christian on a census box, or is like, oh, well, I got baptised at some point in my life, therefore I must be a Christian. It doesn't really mean anything to me now. It's just kind of part of my growing up. It's the sort of person who says, it's not really a big part of my life. If he is king, the sad news is he's probably not any part of your life. It's probably the saddest place to be, to know that this is the king. He came into our world to die, to bear our penalty of death, so we could be reconciled to God and know the right facts about that, but be indifferent and not changed by that at all. The second response is Herod. Herod certainly was not indifferent. He was hostile. He ordered the death of every male child below the age of two in order to wipe one off the face of the world. Now, I don't know how many male children there were at that point in time, but that seems quite excessive to think, just get rid of all of them in order to target one. Why such hostility? You didn't even probably know much about him. Why do we see such hatred written about Christianity today? I'll put it down to one thing. We resist anything we consider to be a threat to our way of life. I was reading a quote by C.S. Lewis just, just yesterday and he says, before he became a Christian, the word which most he hated more than anything was interference. Is there anything that might have any change about how he thought and how he lived was the thing he hated the most. Herod certainly didn't like this idea of a king being born. Because if Jesus truly is king of all, that's going to affect the way we think about everything. And while we don't like what it, anything that might threaten the way we think, if it says 
it threatens the way in which we live, that maybe we're not the ultimate king, we're not the ultimate ruler who calls all the shots, because if Jesus is king, you and I are not. And we don't like to live for anyone else other than ourselves, and Herod certainly did not. So there was indifference, hostility, or finally the Magi who worshipped. Remember the, the opinions of the religious leaders at the time? These people were the despised. They were worthy of being put to death, anyone who even learnt from them. Yet they worshipped Jesus as king. Part of the opening reading that we had at the beginning of the service from Isaiah chapter 60. It said, A nation shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. A multitude of camels shall cover you, the camels of Midian and Ephah, and all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense, and they shall bring good news, the praises of our Lord. This child who has come is not just the king of the Jews. He is the king of all. And because he is the king of all, it has implications for all. Putting out a bold statement, not my king, hashtag Jesus, not my king, doesn't change the fact that he is our king. He's the king that we've all rejected, but he's the king who's come not to punish us, the king who's come to bring peace and joy. The king who has come to bring peace by bearing our punishment on our behalf. The sin which separated us from God, but put us under his judgment, he bore that on himself so that we don't have to, so that we could be reconciled to God. And he came to bring joy. So often you hear people say, you just need to find out deep down who you truly are and live that out and you'll be joyful. The thing is, we don't know who we truly are. Our hearts and our minds are messed up in all sorts of ways. Who we were created to be was created in the image of God to be in relationship with God. And Jesus came to restore that relationship with God that we could be who we were created to be. And as we've seen this morning, this isn't a club for the elite, for those who do all the good stuff. People we see depicted in this passage who worship Jesus were some who people thought were the most despised, the most unworthy. Jesus didn't just come for the the goodies, for the religious. He came for all who would recognize he was their king, who has come into the world to die on their behalf. All who would trust him would have eternal life. He is our king. No hashtag, banner, claim of my independence is going to change that. But why would you want it? This is the best news. As the angels announced it to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2, the angel said to them, Fear not, behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all of the people. For unto you this day is born in the city of David a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. My prayer for all of you that today would be a great day, full of joy, as you recognise the King has come, the Saviour has come, And it is good news for all who would trust in him as their saviour. Let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you did send us a saviour. Lord, we acknowledge that at times we don't like that term saviour because it implied there was something wrong with us.
that God there was. We have by nature rejected you as our king. But we thank you that Jesus came so that we could be reconciled to our king, our creator, our loving king who provides all good gifts to those who love him. And we thank you for for that in Jesus' name. Amen.